And now, the 2012 winner of the Heisman Memorial Trophy is Johnny Manziel. <laughs> What's up, Sportscasters proper fans? It is Season 3, Episode 5, December 11th. 14 days away from the fat guy coming down the chimney. 2012, not much of 2012 left. You know, it's going to be funny, Don, how many times in the first four shows we say January 3rd, 2012. 2012. Yeah. Remember that in school? Yeah, writing it on your papers. Writing it on your papers. You always did the date wrong for like the first month. Yep. But uh, my name is Steve Bennett. I'm the co-host, uh, co-host of this show, and Don Russ is the other co-host. Hey. So we fooled you a little bit there. No Pearl Jam. No, not uh, State 11 Trust is the staple usually. And uh, the reason that we changed it for today, and today only, we'll get back to State 11 Trust next week because that's our thing. But we want to congratulate the band Rush. We are uh, not shy about our love of Canadian music uh, here in western New York. And finally, after being snubbed for 15 years, uh, Rush has been inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame today, so congratulations to them. And of course, congratulations to Public Enemy, who waited (laughs) zero years to get in. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And also notable, uh, two of my girls that I love, probably the only band I can think of that I, I consider to be in my top 50 that has a female singer, Hart was also inducted after a 15-year wait. Wow, they had to wait that long too, huh? So they're doing great things over there in Cleveland with that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> I mean, just unbelievable things. Uh, anyway, we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk, uh, really, we're going to be, be all over the map. We have Jonah Carey from Grantland.com, the lead baseball writer there. He's just back from the winter meetings. We're going to talk to Jonah about uh, the A-Rod injury, uh, where Josh Hamilton might end up, uh, Russell Martin ending up with Pittsburgh, uh, the Yankees basically resetting the luxury tax this year and refusing to go over $189 million in payroll. Hmm. So all kinds of good baseball stuff with Jonah Carey. We recorded that last night, and I want to thank Jonah for doing that with us. Also, we have uh, Dan. Okay, hold on a second. I'm going to back up because I'm not going to screw this up. What was Don? What was the name of the Bills head coach? What, this year? No, the one that took him to four Super Bowls. Oh my God, Marv Marv Levy, right? Marv Levy, Levy. Okay, so then he's Dan Levy. Dan Levy, not Levy. It's spelled the same right. way though. No, there's no A. It's L E V Y. Yeah, that's how Levy's spelled too. Oh, is it? Yeah, Marv. I don't know. It's funny because one of our biggest fans. I'll give him a shout out, Ford. He f- discovered the podcast because he was listening to an appearance of Dan on our show and was mocking me for how many times I mispronounced his name. You call them Levy? I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they're spelled the same way for sure. I looked it up to be sure. So, sorry, Dan. I don't know. I'll get it right someday. I can't believe I brain farted on Marv Levy's name. Dan gave me a pass earlier when I said his name wrong because he said it's 
it's a it's because we're so close to Canada, and mm. that there's a lot of Levies or Levies in Canada, like Roy Wah. Yeah, I guess. Thing? Okay. So we're gonna talk to him about what it's been like at Bleacher Report for the last 18 years. Uh, since we talked to him last, I've been acquired by CNN Turner. Find out what's up with that, and uh, we're also gonna talk about a really cool slideshow he did where he sent every NFL team a Christmas card. Okay. And uh, some of them are funny, some of them are straight, but it's really cool. I kind of get annoyed with Bleacher Report and the slideshows sometimes, but this was the perfect use of it. Yeah, it's not, I mean, you get annoyed with the slideshow in general. Like That's like a new thing I think sites use probably to show different advertising on every page or something like that, get, get the reload every page. But yeah, yeah, the slideshows. But this was the perfect use of it, and I know he's real excited about it and wants to do like 300,000 hits on it, so we're here to plug it for him. I loved it, and for the Saints um, card, he sent the commissioner a load of coal from the Saints. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Thank you. And then our last guest today is Dan Wolken, who covers college football for USA Today. You know, the newspaper, no big deal there. Right. And uh, he's going to talk to us about the Heisman Trophy and the bowl season, and there's some exciting bowls to talk about. They released the numbers. They released the numbers on the Heisman voting. They did. It was about 470 first place votes to about 320. That far apart, huh? Yeah. I'm a little surprised by that. So we also have to do five on fantasy today, which is a big one because playoffs. Yeah, playoffs. Playoffs. Probably at this point, if you win this week, you're playing for money. Right. Yeah. At least third place. Um and. uh, Pick four, of course, will close the show. Uh, also, I want to mention that as of right now, I have no idea who the guest is on the Football Nation show, but I can't <laughs> tell you. Uh, I do know that Jim Trotter of Sports Illustrated is a guest next, next week, week yep. but as of right now, I don't know who it is today, but it'll be someone great. Sure. So make sure you uh, check go it to out. Football Nation and check it out. Anyway, um, let's do three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. (laughs) This is the funnest night ever! (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep! Now let's move on to other business. Alright, as we've been doing lately, uh, most of the football season actually... On this show, we're going to talk. We're going to take a look back at the week that was, and over at the Football Nation podcast, if you want to see us or hear us preview the week that will be, uh, you can hear it over there, footballnation.com. Started off Thursday with a game that went pretty much the way everybody expected. Blowout. Yep. Broncos just a better team. The Raiders are terrible once again. And uh, one thing about that game, the Bron- the Broncos ran the ball a lot. Yeah, Moreno didn't run it for much. 32 carries. Per carry, but 32 carries for 119 and a touchdown. If they can get a running game going, they're really scary. Yep. Really scary team. A lot of games, like we talked about last week, that were kind of uh, boring. Not even worth talking Ho-hum about. Ho-hum Browns, games. Chiefs, not even worth mentioning. No, it may be surprising that the Browns blew them out that bad, but the Chiefs might be the worst team in the league. Bills blow another game on the last play of the game due to some just terrible, terrible ancient 
thinking by their coach, not kicking Sammy a fifty. Bradford too, buddy. Yeah, Sam Bradford, uh, who they held to like two hundred yards total. Like they the held them all offense. day until the last drive, and then they gave up eighty yards. Like they weren't on the field. They blew that game. Second game this year that the Bills have blown on the last play of the game that they should have won. And had they won both those games, they'd be the sixth seed in the playoffs right now. Really interesting game, I think, from the week was the Cowboys and Bengals game. Cowboys scored 10 points in the fourth quarter to kind of save themselves. Their season, yeah. Maybe their season. Um, DeMarco Murray is back, and I think he changes that offense a little bit. He didn't rush for a ton of yards, but he did get a TD. He opens up the passing game a little bit, I think, for them. And one thing to watch during the week is the injury to Des Bryant and if yeah. he's going to be able to go next he, week. He, he can hold off on surgery, and if he does, he'll get it in the offseason. I guess it's a similar uh, – I can't remember who they said held off on it. Maybe Terrell Owens had a similar injury. They said there is a risk of like long-term stiffness if you hold it off. But Des Bryant, I guess, said on a radio show that he they'd have to break his legs to keep him off the field for this playoff run. so Andrew Luck did what Andrew Luck does, erased a 13-point deficit, got more points than the other team in the fourth quarter, and won the game 27-13 against the Titans. They're 9-4, and four and they're going to the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, that's that. He's yep. taking them to the playoffs in their first year. And they had the first pick in the draft last year. This kid's amazing. I, yeah, I... Look, it's hard to root against that team or Andrew Luck. I think they might be one of the worst 9-4 and four teams I've seen. They're just... They don't beat bad teams by much i mean the bills hung in there with them the titans hung in there with i mean they they just kind of do what they do yeah they try to be in it in the fourth quarter and then they let their quarterback win it for them in the fourth quarter yeah and so far that's worked uh it's probably I, not going to work in the playoffs no. i mean they feel like a one and done playoff sure. game. but yeah especially the if first, they have to play the broncos but i mean as a bills fan who's still looking for the replacement for jim kelly and looking for a trip back to the playoffs for the first time in 13 years for a team to have one lousy season, then to get a new franchise quarterback and take them back to the playoffs this quickly has got to feel pretty good for Colts fans. We talked up and down about how the Vikings had to win as many games as they could before their bye because of how hard their schedule is after their bye, and so far they're holding their own. And it's all about one guy, and that's yeah. Adrian Peterson. 154 yards rushing, two touchdowns. He carried the ball 31 times, which is definitely a season high for him because they've been limiting his carries for the most part. He is running away with the rushing title. I yeah. mean, running away with it. He's got 1,600 yards. The next guy is Marshawn Lynch, who had a huge day too, but is still hundreds of yards behind him. Uh, he could almost play one more game and probably still win it. Yeah, that's probably true. You know, one more 100-yard game, and he's, he might have the rushing title clinch, which is amazing for a guy who ripped his ACL up and had surgery on New Year's Eve. My last thing on the Football Nation show, we'll talk more, a little bit more in depth about Marsh or Adrian Peterson's numbers. So check that out if you want to hear that. Uh, the Steelers lose to a Chargers team, and really, what that does is it keeps the crappy AFC teams like the Bills alive, alive uh, mathematically and means we got to listen to the players and the coaches talk about how they can make it in. But Steelers and Bengals losing this week. So they got two seven and six and, teams. Well, different conference, different point maybe, but the Falcons lost this week too. Yeah. And we've talked about all year, how we don't believe the Falcons. They're 11 and two, but they've won a lot of games really, really close. 
they've been outplayed in games. Uh, Denver gifted them a win in the first quarter, basically, and, and they were the very lucky to on. beat very lucky to beat the Panthers the first time. Right, right. So the Falcons have played. They feel almost. I mean, if they're probably going to win the bye because they're eleven and two, but they feel like a one and done team. They just they play teams too tight, good teams and bad teams. Jets and Jags played a meaningless game. The Jets came out on top. In uh, Jaguars are really bad. They they're also really injured. They're missing what three running backs or something. But game of the week was probably Redskins Ravens, right? Yeah, I mean. Back and forth, 31-28, overtime game. Griffin gets knocked out. Griffin gets knocked out. Cousins, Cousins comes, comes in. in. Two and two. He went two for two with a touchdown pass and a two-point conversion. Yep. And led him into field goal range. That That's a scary team, maybe. I mean, they, they play with a lot of heart. Uh, they're very young at key positions, obviously. And they got a solid defense. I you mean, know what else is scary, though, is this is the second time this season that Griffin's RG3's injured. got injured. Out of the pocket. Yeah. If a quarterback gets injured because he's in the pocket and your left tackle whiffs. Well, the one was like a uh, like a flea flicker type play that, where the ball was thrown back to him, right? Wasn't, wasn't he crushed along the sidelines or something stupid like that? Like just a position he had no business or his coach really shouldn't have put him in. They said it worked in practice. He was wide open in the past when they threw to him, and it wasn't on that play. This one wasn't quite like that. This was more of like him a, scrambling for right, sure, a regular play. But. And I know Bill Polian said that when he was still with the Colts and was evaluating between the two, that one of the big things that he gave the edge to luck with is that Longevity. he would, wouldn't have to worry about him on every single play, that he'd be in the pocket, and that they if they could build a line around them, yeah, you know, Seahawks embarrassed the Cardinals fifty-eight to nothing. Uh, definitely running up the score at that point. Uh, they were throwing on fourth and long. I mean, it was in that no man's land type area. TMQ goes into detail about it, but boy, I don't know. You're a team that's won two games on calls at the end. You've had to win two games in the last play. I don't know. You should be tempting the football gods. They don't. They don't feel like a great team to me either. I'm no fan of their coach. He just irritates me. Yeah. 49ers, Dolphins. Dolphins gave him a game, but Kaepernick had a long touchdown run. Yep. Uh, Packers, Two night games. Packers-Lions was uh, closer than I thought. It was a close game. The Lions played hard. Uh, the Packers hit, scored 10 in the fourth to win it. In, Randall Cobb's a stud. Yeah. If you've got Randall Cobb in a PPR fantasy league, you're probably doing okay. And... Uh, and the snow looked beautiful in HD. I'd like to see the Packers beat somebody good. You know what I mean? Like beat not beat not beat a good team, but just kind of dominate somebody the way New England does. Uh, we both said last week that we thought it would be New England Green Bay in the Super Bowl. New England made a real statement Monday night, but boy, Green Bay is struggling on offense a little bit. I don't know if it's just injuries at receiver. I don't know if it's that they don't run. They did beat Houston 42-24. Yeah, that was their big statement win. That was like week four or week three or something, right? Uh, it was week six. Week six. But, yeah, I think at that point they were – they might have even been a losing team or just three and two or – but they kind of needed to come out and make a statement. Yes, they were They were two and three at two the time. Two and three, right. Yeah. And they made that statement, but you'd like to see Rodgers do a little better than 173 yards and no TDs against Detroit. And, I mean – they're not coasting. It's not like 
last year where they had a great record. I mean, they're nine and four now after this win, but a loss in that game would have made them eight and five and right in the thick of things. But anyway, to Houston, uh, they they would you use the word exposed? You know what? I asked uh, on the Football Nation podcast. We had the boss on. Whose name I'm blanking on too? Carrie J. Byrne. Carrie J. Byrne. I kept wanting to say Jonah Carey. Yeah, we had Carrie Byrne on from uh, Cold Hard Football Facts, like a football analytical website. And he said that Houston, and this is a few weeks back, so maybe the numbers have changed, but they talked about how I think Houston was the number one, definitely the number one team in the AFC. He basically said he thought Houston was going to walk into the Super Bowl. Right. Now, that said, I asked him, I said, okay, so the Green Bay game was what, just an anomaly, just a blip? And he said, yeah, we our numbers think it was. But now, their two biggest tests of the year, they've failed, and they've failed miserably in both of them. Uh, they can't defend offenses that spread the ball a lot, it seems like, in the Patriots and Green Bay. I wonder if they're a team that needs to lose to win in the sense that remember that 88 Bills team that got to the AFC Championship game against the Bengals you mean lose like a playoff game yeah like okay. i wonder if they need to like because the games that they've lost were on huge stages their first ever sunday night game and then monday night football against the patriots yeah i wonder if they're just not ready to raise their game to the level that it needs to be raised when you're playing games like that against teams like that. And I wonder if that maybe they they lean on Foster. I mean, he only had 15 carries in this game, but only for 3.1 yard average. And his average for the year is 3.9. Yeah, so he's not hasn't been great this year because I mean, they have a weapon in Andre Johnson, but they have nobody else. So teams know this. And uh they seem pretty one-dimensional at times. They managed to run. Ben Tate had some big runs, but they were late in the game when there was uh, a really great point made by Gruden about J.J. Watt and how he thought that the Patriots did the best job this season defending him by standing him up so that he couldn't jump up to knock the passes down. Yeah, they made a point to say that even when they didn't get pressure, that's typically... Like when the defensive te- line doesn't get pressure, that's when they might take a step back to try to swat a ball. They said the offensive linemen stayed like really close to their chest, so if they did jump up or anything, you'd be able to push them back or whatever. But uh, they did manage. <clears throat> excuse me, they did manage to hit Brady quite a bit, but they didn't really affect his game. He went. He had a uh, 125.4 quarterback rating. Just kind of diced him at will. Four TDs. A lot of drops by Welker which is really uncharacteristic, but Brady's numbers would probably look even better if it wasn't for Welker having a few drops. But, uh, yeah, Houston just looked looked outmatched there, and maybe you're right. I don't I don't see this as a team that's that's going to win much in the playoffs, and they better play at home. Well, like I said, you know, the two biggest stages they've been on, they failed. Yeah, and so the like next said, big stage they're going to be on is going to be hosting – a playoff game as a one or a two seed or something like that. And can they raise to the level maybe that day, but then can they raise to the level needed to win the AFC championship? I I don't know. They better hope it's a one because 
I don't like them on the road against Denver. I definitely don't like them on the road against New England. Denver at this point, uh, they did beat Denver 31-25, but that was week three, and Manning has... That was before the eight-game winning streak. Right. Manning has become a totally different court. Like, he had to settle in. He's figured out his receivers, and uh, I... think Manning will pick them apart, honestly, in the playoffs. So they they better get that home game. And like you said, maybe this just isn't their year. Maybe they're going to look good in the pre or in the regular season. Maybe they'll lose a playoff game, figure out what went wrong, and maybe next year is their year. But I, I just don't see it this year. All right, let's move on. Uh, my second thing, congratulations to Johnny Football yeah. on winning the Heisman Trophy. Uh, the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy. Herschel Walker came close way back in the 80s. Adrian Peterson came close in the uh, 2000s. But Johnny Manziel won. Second was Teo, and third was Colin Klein. No surprise with the order there. No, no, no real surprise. I I think that anyone... The thing is, is that Klein... Or, excuse me, uh, Johnny had the moment. The Alabama game. Yeah. You know, winning that game, beating Alabama, he had that. And the other thing is, is the only defensive player who ever won it also scored touchdowns on special teams. Right. So, you know, that's something for voters. And I think that Teo just didn't do it. I mean, five interceptions. He's obviously the best player on the best defense in the country. But I just don't think it was enough. It was around... Over 400 first-place votes to just around 300. My second thing this week, Josh Brent, uh, uh, the driver, he's a nose tackle for the Cowboys. I'm sure everyone's heard this at this point. Driving in his car, DUI, uh, takes the life, unfortunately, of the practice squad linebacker, Jerry Brown. And this is two deaths in two weeks. And there's not much to say about this type of thing other than I mean, before Bounty Gate and before before uh, CTE got big. CTE, everything was about players getting in trouble with guns and players getting in trouble driving. And on Football Nation, I go into I'm going to go into that more on my one last thing. But it's another tragedy that could have easily been avoided. I mean, it's really not much more I can say than that. Just Hire God's a driver. Speed, right? Hire a driver. Get a get a taxi. We've talked about it many times. There's no reason these guys should be driving. Drunk. Absolutely it doesn't not. make any sense. So sad. Another sad story from the NFL. Hopefully uh, next week we'll break this streak. It's and what a horrible time! Weeks, I mean, right around Christmas. Yeah, it's uh, just the worst possible time for something like this. Get drivers out there. Hopefully other players can learn from this. All right, my last thing today: some vindication finally for the Saints who. I'm going to go into a little bit more on my one last thing on Football Nation today because I think I was a little harsh on Drew Brees last week. I want to rectify that given everything he's given to our organization. But Paul Tagliabue today did essentially throw out the suspensions of the four players that the commissioner originally handed down. Right. He also said some weird things like, that the commissioner had evidence and could have suspended more players, which if that's true, why didn't he suspend them? Like, is it his cousin or it sounded like there's like a weird gray area here that 
there wasn't any evidence presented that maybe that he saw that directly said they were paying players for injuries. Uh, what it sounds like they were saying is they were paying players for hits, for hits which is that legal, could cause injuries and could be finable though. They were paying out finable hits too. So I there's there's a gray area there though. You're not saying go out and hurt somebody. It's so different because it's defense. If it was offense and it was a pay to score a touchdown program, right. no one would ever care about that. Right. Because it's defense and it's hitting and injuries and CTE and all that, that's where the gray area you're talking about Yeah, I mean, in. I guess if the players are going to have this type of thing, you say, like, I'm going to pay you for every big hit that causes a fumble that doesn't get you suspended. Like, that's where the gray area is, is that these hits, even if they were illegal, suspendable I think would get paid out. And f- suspendable and finable hits probably shouldn't have been paid shouldn't out. Shouldn't have been paid out. But it isn't this big, scary thing. I think the real – there was a a snipe hunt a little bit here with the commissioner because of all the lawsuits against yep. the NFL. And the Greg Williams tape was just a smoking gun. Yes, it was. Seemingly. Yep. Uh, it that sounded horrendous. I don't know how Greg Williams ever gets away from that, but at least it sounds like maybe the players will be able to. Jonathan Vilma, by the way, has said that he is glad that this phase of it is over, but he is not going to stop his defamation suit. He still feels like his reputation has been ruined. Huh. And he's not going to let that stand. Yeah, good for him if that's what he believes in. I suppose. Um. Roger Goodell, also in the news, uh, an article from Pro Football Talk regarding an article from Time Magazine. One of the things Goodell brings up is a new kickoff idea, and I don't hate it. Uh, The idea is rather than having kickoffs, you get the ball 4th and 15 from your own 30, and then you would do what you would normally do 4th and 15 there. You'd have the option to go for it, or you'd have the option to punt. So you wouldn't have any more kickoffs. But which would eliminate the high-speed collisions. I guess the high-speed collisions don't happen as much. Well, they say that kickoffs is the most dangerous play in football, and that's why they stopped the wedge, and that's why they put the, right. the ball up. And they and said it causes a lot of stress like on the third and fourth vertebrae in your neck, and they kind of go into the, the medicine and the uh, anatomy behind it a little bit. And this would get rid of that. It would get rid of the – I wish I had numbers on – onside kicks i don't have them in front of me but it would get rid of the seemingly random play that is an onside kick and put the ball in the hands of the the best players if you want an onside kick i guess i I read some comments that suggest the scary thing about this is automatic first down penalties there's if you're an offense and you want to be super aggressive maybe like a bill belichick you might just go for it all the time air it out hope to draw uh, pass interference which draws an automatic first down. So maybe in the rules meeting they talk about getting rid of automatic first down penalties as well, and you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. Is there anything worse when, than when your team has a team backed up to like third and 20 and the refs Some sort bail of them out on a – yeah. Oh, that drives me nuts. So interesting rule. Uh, I – I'd prefer to watch a fourth and 15 than, than to watch an onside kick. It's just not an exciting play. Maybe people think it is. I don't know. I thought it was pretty damn exciting in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Well, that was a surprise onside <laughs> kick. <laughs> but uh, it just seems totally random, that play. And 4th and 15, at least you could run a real play with real players. And you can 
punt. You can still run fake punts out of that formation. I guess that would be the equivalent of the onside kick or the surprise onside kick. But interesting idea. It actually came from Greg Schiano, which is something, I guess, in its own right. But uh, we'll see how that goes because it might cost some guys jobs. All right. We are going to take a break and come back with the great Jonah Carey. Our next guest is from Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and is a graduate of the journalism program at Concordia University. He has contributed work for ESPN.com, GQ, the New York Times, and countless other publications. Today, he is a staff writer for the popular Grantland website, where he also hosts a podcast during the baseball season. His book, The Extra 2%, focuses on the rise of the Tampa Bay Rays and is a New York Times bestseller. His next book about his beloved Montreal Expos is due to be released in the spring of 2014. He is making his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very kind and great Jonah Carey. What's up, Jonah? I'm good, Steve. How are you? Oh, I'm very good and couldn't be more appreciative. Just so everyone knows, Jonah is doing this at an extraordinary time to fit us in, and we couldn't be more appreciative of, uh, of him doing that for us. So thank you very much for that. My pleasure. So, it's off-season for you, kind of, I'd imagine. Although, is it really off-season in sports anymore? I don't know. It's not off-season. I just had the winter meetings last week and probably wrote about 14 posts. And I have uh, I wrote over the weekend, and I'm going to write as soon as I get off with you. And uh, it's late here. So, yes, uh, th- it's not off-season at all. And if I find time, then I have to write a book as well. So, I'm... I'm <laughs> Maybe more busy than I was during the regular season. Tell us a little bit about the winter meetings. Uh, uh, the winter meetings. There's a lot to talk about with the winter meetings. The winter meetings depends on what your role is. If you're Buster O'Neill, Ken Rosenthal, or John Heyman, you are just working your butt off. You're just sweating and trying to find any little tidbit that you can and working your sources and texting and just constantly occupied. If you're someone like me who really only does – analysis of moves when they happen or even analysis of rumors you just wait for the news to stream in and so you can kind of sit by and craft your thoughts at least a little bit better you're still working hard but you have some uh, leeway to some extent and then when night times particularly for Grantland, which doesn't publish at night we only do uh you know kind of regular working hours i can actually go out so it becomes very much a social thing and all the writers that i know we go out to eat and we hang out and it's great so uh i always get a kick out of it to me it's uh you know doing a lot of work certainly during the daytime but it's very much a social event for uh, for someone like me and uh, maybe others too i guess so you can correct me if i'm wrong but i think one of the biggest stories that came out of the winter meetings was a rod's hip what are your thoughts about where that leaves him and the money that the yankees still owe him um, I mean, the news was kind of already up uh, beforehand, but of course he took the podium there, and or rather the Yankees took the podium and talked about it. Um, he's not a great player at this point in his career. I think the bigger issue is now they have a vacancy and they have to figure out what to do. Uh, but I wouldn't have expected him to be more than a two or maybe a three-win player on the outside. And they're looking. The interesting thing with their with them is they want to have uh, they want to go not any more over one hundred eight. 
$89 million for 2014 because that's a li limit on the luxury tax. It basically resets their luxury tax clock and they'll save something on the order of $40 million a year if they can make that happen. And so as a result, let's say, for, I'm making this up, but let's say they want to chase Headley, who's a very good third baseman, and hypothetically to the Padres made him available. Well, he's got two years left of free agency and pay him a lot of money this year or next year. He's a great player. He could do a lot with him, but they wouldn't necessarily go as all out in a trade for him as they might have in a different situation. Say, you know, the third base market is pretty thin, but same thing if there was anybody else on the market out there that was worth a three or four year contract, they just wouldn't do that. They're just not looking to do that. They signed Corona to a one year deal, Andy Pettit, Mariano Rivera, Ichiro's going to get one year, and uh, they offer Kevin Euclid the same thing a one year contract. It's one year, $12 million. But the idea is it expires after this year, and then they can get their goal of getting under $189 million for next year. So it's an odd thing with the Yankees. If A-Rod was injured any other year, or maybe a couple of years ago or whatever, you would say, all right, you know, it's the Yankees. They'll figure something out. But here they're being more frugal than some teams that you would think of as being much poorer than they are. Now, are they being more frugal because they have a plan for, say, like a year where they see more free agents that are can make – transition the team younger is that what they're doing or are they just going to be more frugal no it's it's strictly to get under the 189 million dollar cap there was a story um by jason stark written in february this year and it really talks about the dynamics of it i encourage people to read it and basically it just if you can find a way to for one year to interrupt your string of violating the luxury tax year after year, then it resets and you just get all this money. And it's not that the Yankees are losing money. If they had a $300 million payroll, they'd still be profitable. It's just that they literally get to put $40 billion into their pockets, uh, not just for year one, but probably in perpetuity because it's just the reset just causes everything to change and the rates of how much you get taxed changes. So it's just really a revenue generator. It has nothing with the ball club. The Yankees owners are just saying, hey, there's a chance to get some money. We're going to be good no matter what, whether we're $189 million or Two hundred forty-nine million. So what the heck? Let's try to go under. That's all. What do you? Well, this is this, that's not a good question. Let me try to rephrase this. So they said that A Rod would be around, back maybe around June. What kind of what kind of player in your just in your opinion do you think is going to be on the field after two straight hip injuries? I mean, he's not going to be a fielder anymore. He's probably designated a hitter at this point. I have my doubts about his bat. I don't think he's got all that much left. Hip injuries are pretty bad and degenerative. Uh, Chris Duncan, who was an outfielder for the Cardinals and obviously has never had remotely the talent that A-Rod had, but was a, you know, a fair hitter in his time. He tweeted the other day that uh, as soon as the hip injuries hit, that was it. It just ruined his career. And he was a young guy. He was in his late 20s. A-Rod's in great shape, and he tries really hard and all that, but it's it's really tough. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but just the precedent, such as there is a precedent, right. that it's bad news, that it's bad for his mobility, at the very least, in terms of running the bases and fielding. And like I said, I have my doubts about his power stroke. That combined with the fact that his age is way up there. I mean, you can talk about the Bonds as all you want, or the R.A. Dickies, but those are outliers. Time you get to your late 30s in baseball, you're typically pretty close to done. So I wouldn't expect much from the guy, and considering he's still over, owed over $100 million, it's not necessarily an ideal scenario for the Yankees. At yeah, this point. sounds a lot more ideal for A-Rod than it does the Yankees. Um, you were mentioning how you know the John Haymans of the world at the winter meetings, they're just busting their butt trying to find anything they can find. And it seemed like one of the things they were chasing is what's going to happen with Josh Hamilton. What's your opinion? Well, the Rangers are in position if they want him uh, to, to get him. I mean, uh, they offered a four-year contract supposedly, and 
there don't seem to be too many suitors. The Dodgers have a bunch of outfielders, so this is you know quite possible that they're not necessarily going to uh, go after him, which would be unusual because they tend to go after the big guys. Uh, so that's a possibility. They could still trade for Justin Upton in that three-way trade or four-way trade. That's certainly out. Uh, there's also the notion of R.A. Dickey could be a good acquisition for them. In fact, I think potentially a great acquisition. He's going to be much cheaper than, uh, at least in terms of salary, than all, all the other pitchers out there, including James Shields who went to the Rays and and Granke and Annabelle Sanchez. I mean, uh, Dickey basically wants a two-year extension for about $25 million. So for the next three years, you can have him for 30 And yes, he's old but i mean it's a knuckleballer it's a right kind of situation so it's a great possibility for them or anybody that wants to trade for dickie really you know i can't help but be fascinated by josh hamilton and i'm almost certain that it was uh brian brian curtis from grantland that wrote a really fascinating article yeah. am i getting that right about hamilton yeah that's right he is from texas yeah 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 and uh i don't know i i just i think he should just stay i don't know I don't know. I guess, well, you know what I, I mean? mean? You know, there are other teams that need him, too. He's going to get paid wherever he goes, and Seattle's after him, and they could certainly use him. I mean, that ballpark helps his numbers nominally, but, I mean, that's not necessarily a huge deal per se because ultimately these surface numbers, all they really do, it reflects on what your next contract is going to be. By the time he gets his next contract, he'll be pretty close to the end. So, I mean, I don't have any brilliant insight as to where he's going to needs to go or should go or whatever. I would imagine he wants to make some money, and I would imagine he wants to pay for a winning ball club. Texas has both of those things, both of those things, but there are other teams that have that too. I know. I just worry about the guy. You know, you're talking baseball, and I'm thinking something totally different. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, he already had a relapse in an airport lounge. I don't. Is he doing that well in Texas? I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're his right. whole self-righteous act is pretty tired at this point. And, uh, you know, if I'm going to start a conversation with Josh Hamilton, not in the baseball field, it's not going to be very pleasant. So, Yeah. Well, I don't know. I root for the guy. I don't know why. I just, I read his book. I know there's a lot of fluff in it. And, uh, I don't know. So, you know, there's some, there's some athletes. This is why we love sports. There's some athletes out there. You just get a soft spot for, and I just hate to see him make the wrong decision, but you know what? If we're being honest with each other, there's drugs in every city in America, right? So he could screw up sure. anywhere. Um, sure. Uh, the Braves, they made a trade to acquire Upton. Good move for them? Uh, uh, yeah, the free agent signing $75 million. It's a lot of money. I, you know, it's right in line with the market, obviously. We're seeing um, a real uptick in salaries because of the uh, revenue that's uh, really going up in the industry. So. It's you know a reasonable contract. I do think there's some upside here. He's still in his late twenties. There's still a possibility to get better. Very talented player. Number two overall pick should have been number one overall. And he's sort of shown flashes of a lot of things: of power, of speed, of walks, the batting average of anything, of everything. Just never put it together in one season. And you know maybe he gets out of that ballpark, which is not very good for offense. And maybe he goes over to the National League, and it works for him. I think it's certainly possible. So yeah, I'm on board with the deal. I don't think it's a bargain per se, but I do think there's a little bit of upside there. You kind of uh, um, skipped over it real quick, but MajorLeagueBaseball.com does say that it's official that Granke did sign a six-year deal with the Dodgers today. Are we going to... Is- yeah, $147 million. I wrote an article on about it. Uh, just talking about the various implications of the deal, both for Granke and the Dodgers. And I mean, he's going to help them. You know, I, it's, it's not a great mystery what this guy is. He had one fantastic season, which is one of the best seasons any pitcher has had for a decade but other than that you're about you're talking about a five wins over replacement every single year which is quite strong and uh you know today's market to make 25 million dollars a year for that is not unreasonable 
reasonable, to be honest with you. There's always risk. Six years for pitcher. Pitchers get hurt, certainly. I'm a big fan of Annabel Sanchez. I actually think he could be the bargain of the offseason relatively. He doesn't strike me is all that much worse than, let's say, Granky or James Shields or some of the other guys that have gone out there, and he'll get a lot less money than Granky anyway. So, uh, But in terms of paying for the top-of-market pitcher, this was the best guy out there, and the Dodgers have the most money, and they spent it. Their payroll is going to be about at least $240 million next year, but that's really not a problem for them because they have all the money they need between their TV revenue and everything else that's going on. So uh, it's fine. The sky's the limit as far as the Dodgers are concerned. Yeah, we should get used to this with the Dodgers, right? I mean, they're going to be in there with every big-name free agent that they want, correct? For uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case. You know, the only thing that would prevent them really is if they feel they're in a situation where that position is already staffed. That's one of the complaints right. that I had about their, uh, their re-signing Andre ATA was uh, $85 million for a good but not great You really boxed yourself out of Hamilton and some of these guys that came on the market, Michael Bourne and these other guys. And so, I mean, maybe they'll just spend anyway and they'll say, okay, we're going to make Carl Crawford our fourth outfielder, but I kind of doubt it. So if you really have unlimited money, fine, spend it, but spend it wisely. You know, don't, don't put yourself in a position where you've blocked yourself out of better players than you. It seems a little silly. What should we be watching for that hasn't happened yet? Uh, well, Texas, I think, is, has to be heard from. I mean, be it Hamilton, be it a trade for Upton, be it Granky, whatever. They were supposedly holding all the cards. Not Granky, sorry, uh, Dickey. There was even some talk that they might be getting Granky um, before the Dodgers obviously got him. So between the money that they have and the trade assets that they have, they're really in good position. They're still a very good club, and, and they could really improve themselves from here on in. A lot of good players still out on the market, both on the trade market and free agency, and I think Texas is just better positioned than almost anybody to take advantage. All right, two last things. First thing is, one of the great stories in Major League Baseball last year was the Pirates, until the Pirates pulled the Pirates and just fell off the cliff. And I haven't really heard much from them at all, which, I mean, isn't atypical of a Pirates offseason, but have they done anything to improve the club? Do they plan on doing anything to improve the club? Is there anyone coming up from the minor leagues? Am I ever going to be able to go to PNC Park and watch a playoff game because PNC Park is my favorite place in America? Well, they already outbid the Yankees for Russell Martin, which is a pretty good start. So, I mean, they got somebody. Their minor league guys, most of their best players are uh, are still a couple years away. Uh, they do have Starling Marte, who saw a cup of coffee last year, and he'll probably be in the lineup this year. Garrett Cole's coming. He's their best pitching prospect. And uh, maybe a year or two for him, I would say, before he really establishes himself in the rotation. So it's not there yet, but it'll happen. Central has some pretty good teams, though. Obviously, the Astros have cleared out of there, but uh, – you know, the Reds are quite good. The Cardinals are always competitive, and I think the Brewers have really established themselves as a team that uh, you know they might have some up years and down years, but they're willing to spend. They have some pretty good core talent. Ryan Braun is what top three hitter in all of baseball, yeah. so uh, they're going to be right. So there will be a challenge certainly. And the Cubs, of course, are going to spend money. They feel I've seen a Jed Hoyer there too. So the Pirates have their work cut out for them. There's no question about it. And uh, the minor league guys that you reference, they're really going to have to come through. And come. Did you have any gripes with the award winners? The award winners, well. Tr- Trout should have won MVP over Miguel Cabrera, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, you know it is what it is. I mean, Cabrera won the Triple Crown, and people valued uh, those stats, which are either team dependent or, or more most relevant ninety years ago, over a real holistic player, a guy who fields well and runs well, and also hits thirty home runs and hits for a high batting average and all that stuff, which is fine. I mean, there's no point in getting all worked up about it. I mean, Trout was a more deserving candidate. They voted for Cabrera, and you move on. What about the Trout and Harper? connection and the next 15 years of baseball 
Do you give Trout the edge because he had the better year this year, or do you think that? I mean, I know they're a different kind of the way they play. They're both amazing to watch. I mean, anytime I have a chance to watch Harper or, or, or Trout, I'm I'm in. You know what I mean? But are these the guys? Are these the Magic and Larry that can maybe bring baseball back to what it was 50 years ago in this country? Uh, I think baseball's in great shape anyway. They're going to have $9 billion in revenue by 2014. I mean, it will attract some casual fan interest to get Harper and Trout involved, but whether or not those casual fans came on board, this was always a very, very healthy industry. And uh, when Magic and Bird came on board with the NBA, the NBA was a disaster. They were showing their games on tape delay. Right. There were all kinds of fights going on during the game. Uh, we hadn't established, how can I say this? You hadn't established an audience of white people, quite frankly, willing to watch the sport to the same extent that they do now. I mean, it just, it was a very, very different kind of thing. There was a perception of the drug use was rampant. It was a perception of being a thugs league. There were a lot of good players, but it just was not the same. And Magic and Bird just kind of took it to a different level and, and created a different kind of sport. Baseball is so much healthier now than basketball was then. I think it's a nice rivalry to have two guys start off with great rookie seasons. I could see that a little bit. But, you know, beyond that, uh, the Bird-Magic um, connection, it, just in terms of talent, yes, but in terms of league impact, it's not quite the same. All right. Uh, Jonah Carey, you can read his work at Grantland.com, one of the great websites on the Internet, really. Um, and uh, we do this at the end of every interview with you and we couldn't not do it this time. Give us the update on the Expos book. Uh, the last person that I spoke to for the Expos book was, who did I just talk to? I talked to Tony Tavares last week, who was the team president during the last few years of the team. And I also interviewed, who the heck did I interview that day? Man, my brain isn't working. Anyway, I'm talking to Delano to shields tomorrow. So that'll be fun too. And, uh, working my, way through these interviews and writing going i need to hustle a little bit on that and it comes out in uh, 2014 well you know how excited we are for that 2014 book actually i think you and another one of our favorites jeff perlman both have books coming out in 2014 so it's going to be a big book year for the sportscasters we're pumped great well i appreciate it all right thanks buddy thank you Oh, hold on. Let me, I want to get it up on Amazon because I just wanted to give people like a idea of... Which one? The hockey book? Too? You know, if they wanted to uh, get it for someone as a gift or whatever. Okay. It's number two in hockey right now. What's a bigger book in hockey? Crossing the Line, Derek Sanderson. Okay. Huh. Oh, he might have been a raped kid. Oh. Uh, like his junior coach or something. Oh, okay. I don't know. I could have that wrong, though. All right. All right, we want to thank Jonah Carey for being on the podcast today. We always love having Jonah on. He's got great insight, knows baseball, and we can't wait for that Montreal's Expos book to come out in the spring of 2014. Real quick book club update today. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are Christmas shopping. If you got a hockey fan in the family, 
I highly recommend JR, My Life as the Most Outspoken, Fearless, and Harder-Hitting Man in Hockey, authored by Jeremy Roenick uh, and Kevin Allen, who's one of the most respected hockey writers out there. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it, and I think the most fun thing about it is determining if you think the story is real or not. <laughs> because it's just so out there, and I can't wait to talk to JR about this book. Um, and we've been told we're going to be able to talk to him after the book tour. We've been told things before, though, too. So, Hank Haney. Um, so, uh, we'll wait and see what happens. But I did want to mention that the book is available on Amazon for 17 bucks, which isn't too bad for a hardcover book. No, not at all. Um, it's also available for free Super Saver shopping if you spend over 25 bucks. And uh, there's a Kindle version for fourteen seventy four. Not to be a commercial for Amazon or anything. I just wanted to let people know that the book of the month is out there if you're looking for a good Christmas present. Yeah, and the, I'm looking at the negative reviews because that's always fun. The two negative reviews of the book seem to be from people that uh, don't like Jr. So interestingly enough, guys that don't like Jr. didn't like the book. Shocking. <laughs> they probably didn't even read it. Jr. is just running his mouth trying to get the spotlight while he still can. Only buy this if you enjoy his drama. Is the review so that guy sounds not like a Jr. fan, and not like a reader because he didn't give one example. No. All right, let's uh, cut this short and come back with uh, Dan. Our next guest is a pioneer in the podcasting industry, having recorded over 500 episodes of the critically acclaimed On the DL podcast. He is a former writer for SportingNews.com and was a contributor for WashingtonPost.com. He is also the creator of 609 Design. Today, he is the national lead writer and senior analyst for the website Bleacher Report. His Twitter feed is one of the most critical and entertaining. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the talented Dan Levy. What's going on, Dan? Levy, we did Levy. this again. Oh you guys are God. too close to Canada. No, yeah. it's fine. You're too close to Canada for the Levy Levy border. Apparently, everyone in Canada is Levy, and, and everyone in and don't for, don't forget who the most popular coach in the history of Buffalo Bills history is. Marv Levy, exactly. But you say, and then and then the one of the funnier comedians, actors, the last however long is Eugene Levy. So there's really you can always point to one or the other, and, and you're always wrong. <laughs> you know what's funny is like one of the very first times you were on um it was just after your on the dl podcast had finished and uh i got a tweet well it was really a tweet to you but we were in it too and uh he's like listening to your interview with at sportscasters and they've already pronounced your name wrong five times and uh <laughs> i text the kid back and i'm like i'm an idiot i'm sorry and uh he's still a fan actually so we got a fan, and we got a fan out of uh, pronouncing your name wrong. Keep doing it, then. Maybe it'll work out. <laughs> and it doesn't help that another one of our favorites is Jane Levy. I didn't. I didn't know that. I thought she was a Levy too. So there you go. Yeah. So all right. Uh, well, thank you for doing this today. Uh, I know it's a special time of the year for you, so to make some time for us is uh, very special. You're making Hanukkah. Right? references now it's really just at night for like 10 minutes you light a candle uh, or i guess you light the same number of candles as the night uh, plus one and then you give gifts to your kids so it's not, hanukkah like a really anything special uh it's more just coinciding with christmas so we have presents it's not like a big holiday for jews other than 
it happens during Christmas time. But right. I appreciate it nonetheless. Like Rosh Hashanah is the more like a more bigger like a bigger holiday, right? Right. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are like the real actual important holidays. There are a few others. Passover is a pretty big deal. Uh, but Hanukkah is just cool because kids get the presents. Gotcha. So the kids love it. Sure. Oh, I like it too. Don't get me wrong. The food's good. And and the presents are fun, so it's a good time. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to. I don't want to belittle the the enjoyment of Hanukkah. But it's it's on the grand scheme of like where where Christmas and Easter are like big deals for people who uh, celebrate Christianity or follow Christianity. It, not so much with Hanukkah and Judaism. It's just there. Gotcha. All right. Bleacher Report. You had to... <laughs> Bleacher Report. You had to have been there close to a year now, right? Uh, it's more than that. I think I started. I want to say officially in August of last year, maybe even maybe beginning of September, but we, I was hired in August. Uh, so it's been, you know, going on 18 months almost. Uh, and it's been great. It's, it's been um, better than, than I expected, not only from a company standpoint, but from my ability to write and do the things that I want. It's, it's been a pretty fun experience. Yeah. I mean, I was just, you know, for the last hour, I was just kind of looking at the last I don't know, 50 articles that you've written, and it seems like you're all over the place. I mean, it, it looks like you have total freedom to write about anything you want. I mean, I've seen soccer, I've seen football, I've seen all kinds of different things, and that must really make you make you feel really free as a writer. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a blessing and a curse because uh, I do get to write about almost anything that I want. Uh, a lot of times those conversations are, are I've had with my editor. It's not necessarily just me writing what I want. We decide on what needs to be addressed or uh, something that's going on or previewing something that's going to happen. Uh, so it's not just, hey, I'm going to write about this today. We, there is some thought into that. Uh, but it, the reason I say it's a curse is because there's no hook. There's no angle. So sometimes you feel like a free agent all the time. It, it, when you're constantly tracking what the biggest story is going to be, sometimes it's a hit and sometimes it's a miss. And the other thing is you don't want to write the same thing as someone else. So am I going to write about the college football national championship or is the college football guy? So it's one of those weird positions where sometimes you have to work with people you don't always work with. There's not always a beat that I cover, so I have to dip into other people's pools. Do you enjoy doing the slideshows? That sounds like a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Um. If it if it suits if if the slideshow suits the functionality of the story you're trying to tell, I don't think that there is a better use of technology uh, than that. I think that especially for mobile devices, the use of a slideshow is vital. It's critical, and I think if done properly, it can be effective. Case in point, like an hour before we recorded this, I don't know when people are listening, but on Tuesday I posted uh, my annual 32 holiday cards for every nfl team oh yeah we're gonna be talking about that in a minute yeah we can talk about we make fake nfl holiday basically christmas cards but sometimes they're not just christmas Uh, and last year it it did 213,000 reads this year because we have a different uh format for slideshows where it can be full width and not just a little box. I expect it to get, I, I put a thing on Twitter that I joke, if we don't get a million reads to that, and I, I mean that somewhat seriously, with Turner and CNN uh, having our back, I think it's possible that we can reach a million people with that. And that would be really cool. And that's a good use of a slideshow. Um, 
the five funniest blah, blah, blahs. That's not what I do. So it's hard for me to say that that's a good use. Most things that I do are straight articles. Um, but we're doing something about soccer in a couple of weeks. That's going to be a slideshow. It's going to be amazing. So I think it really depends on, on the format of your article and finding the best, the best presentation for it. Well, I was going to save it for later, but since you brought it up with the, uh, with the, um, with the, the slideshow about the uh, Christmas cards, I went through them. And even though I live in Buffalo, New York, I am a huge Saints fan since I was seven years old. What's up with the coal, man? What do you mean? It's for Roger Goodell. Did you read the card? I thought I read the card. No, dude. The All right. All right so this is for the people who haven't seen this. There's a box. It's a gold box. Mm-hmm. It's full of coal. And it says, to R. Goodell from New Orleans. Oh. It's sending Roger Goodell a box of coal. Oh, perfect. Okay, I have no more gripes, son. Appreciate that. I missed the. Uh, I, I read the caption. I guess I missed the card. Yeah, the card is is connected to the. Very important to see everything. There are little minute details in some of these. If you go to if you go to the site, people, and you uh and you some of them are obvious. Some of them are just sort of dumb and stupid and silly. And and Josh Zirkle actually helped me come up with some of these uh some of these ideas. And some of them are just wacky. The Pittsburgh Steelers just makes no sense. The Green Bay Packers is just totally out there and fun. But then some of them, like like I don't know if you saw the St. Louis Rams. There's some attention to detail in the Rams one that you need to you need to really look at to understand what's going on. So uh, if you want to give that away, you can. But I, I think it's one of those that sort of has to be seen first to, to be gotten. All right, I will I, I will definitely because uh, I would just I was like I said I was doing as much prep as I could in like 45 minutes. So I just really read the Saints one, and I was like, you know, what would have been perfect was. It's a really nice gift for Drew Brees because the poor guys had to be the quarterback and the coach all year. Yeah, but see, the problem with that, how, how does it? How do you make that snarky and funny? I, I see what what I could have done, and now I'm thinking out loud, and I maybe should have done was if if I was going to send a gift to the the Saints rather than from the Saints, it could have been like a roll of bounty, you know, like a, like a <laughs> 12 pack of paper towels, which could have been funny too. But I thought I thought that was one of the better ones. Roger Goodell getting sent a box of coal, I think, is, is gonna make all Saints fans happy. Yeah, I actually love it now. I blew it. I missed it. See, like the longer this interview goes on, the more of a dope I am. <laughs> Followers you'll end up getting, so it's fine. So uh you know what? With three million if or if you get a million views, you're gonna be close to four million views on like hundred and sixty articles. That's pretty incredible. You must be proud of the response you've gotten over there. Yeah, I don't think we'll get a million. I, I would like to get half a million, and I mean that sincerely. I mean, again, last year we did it. I, I, just, I pitched it to our editors on the front page, and I said, this is something I can do. I obviously have a background in Photoshop. L- let me do this. And they're like, ah, see, see how it works out. And it just it hit gangbusters. I mean, uh, 13,000 reads was far and away my biggest. But if you look at some of the other guys that we have on the site, Matt Miller, uh, who does our NFL draft stuff, they have like third Matt, Matt Miller has like 40 million page views since he's been at Bleacher Report, and that's over like four or five years, it's not over like a hundred years. Uh, it's just ridiculous the kind of traffic that the site has generated for NFL, a lot of NBA stuff. Soccer is huge. So, if you if you go down and look at the stuff that I've written, uh, the Olympics were enormous for us. Um, you can see what our audience likes. Some articles aren't doing that well, uh, some articles. Some topics we need growth. Uh, baseball is something that we've struggled with, but we're, we're we have the good writers. I write about baseball. We have other guys writing about baseball. Bleacher Report just hasn't gotten the audience, and I think 
that and college basketball are two things that you're going to see a lot more of because of our partnership now with Turner. Well, I guess they own us. Right. Uh, you're going to see a lot more baseball. You're going to see a lot more basketball coming up in the new year because Turner owns a lot of that and has a lot of the rights to that. So it's going to be interesting and fun for us to be able to jump into new uh, areas and we can get audiences that we haven't necessarily had yet. Has the uh, you know has Turner interfered at all, or has it just been a really nice smooth transition, and they're just in the background collecting cash? Um, I I don't know. You know, from yeah. a back, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not really privy to a lot of that. I, I think from a from a back end business standpoint, based on the people I've spoken to, everything seems awesome and everyone's happy. I think it's still a figuring out period, and I think from what I've been told, 2013 is going to be when we get to really ramp up our our new things where the money is going to start to show um, bringing in new people. I think we've always brought in new people, whether it was Turner money or not. So that's been a good thing since I've been at at Bleacher Report. Uh, But I think there's going to be some more opportunities for us doing TV. I was on headline news a few weeks ago uh, or maybe a month ago with uh, the Lance Armstrong situation. And that was kind of neat to be on Skype with, with one of the anchors on headline news talking about that. I know CNN was looking for, someone to talk about the Pacquiao fight the other day and uh and they're coming to us now it's we're the, we're the same company right and we have a voice so why not come to us so it's kind of neat that we're going to get opportunities I'm still waiting for the chance for me and Charles Barkley to have a weekly show online so <laughs> until I I don't think anything is going to be uh going to be at the top of the mountain but, but it's fun it's 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 neat to see some of the things that we have coming up yeah it's great because whenever I think about someone talking about sports on CNN I think of John Wertheim you know, and maybe that can change over time, and I'll think more of Bleacher Report writers, and that's just going to get me to Bleacher Report all the more. I don't know. I, I, I don't think that, I, you know, I don't know, again, this is, you're talking more business side stuff that I'm not necessarily uh, involved in, but I, I venture to guess that uh, Sports Illustrated and CNN aren't connected that much anymore from right. a business standpoint. And I think that's a big part of the reason why we're involved i think cnn needed a more substantial uh, and dedicated l- sort of a not just like a loose partnership and sharing this is the company now. we're all under the same umbrella so i would certainly look if i see sports illustrator writers on on, uh, on cnn rather I-, I will be the first person complaining about them. i'm not saying i need to be on there every single time although it helps my profile if i'm on there but if they're going to their former partners instead of their current partners certainly we're going to start barking about it right all right let's get back to writing for the last couple of questions I always think of this with a writer. Is there one that you put out and you thought you did a great job and you really were excited to get it up there and it just kind of didn't do what you hoped? Off the top of my head, I'm, I'm trying to think of an article that hasn't done well. And part of it's our own internal programming. You know, you have to convince the people to put it on the front page or convince the people to put it in the newsletters and things like that. Um, I mean, again, if if I go, if this holiday card thing doesn't do better than last year, I'll be very upset. And they all know that. So I'm hoping. Uh, some things, it's funny because I wrote an article uh, twice this year about David Beckham. Once uh, I covered the MLS All-Star Game and I wrote about Beckham. Uh, it was in Philadelphia. So I was at the game and I wrote about him. I got uh, quotes from Frank Lampard. I got quotes from some of the uh, MLS players. And it did not do much traffic at all. And it was a bad time. It was right around the Olympics. And then I wrote about Beckham the other day uh, in advance of 
MLS Cup, and it didn't do good numbers either. And it's funny to me because if we wrote about international soccer, even like a middle-of-the-pack guy no one ever cares about other than there's a transfer rumor, it would do bigger numbers than David Beckham in MLS. But Beckham is like the most famous guy on the planet. So I, I don't know what the bugaboo is about people not listening uh, or not wanting to read about quote-unquote MLS stories, even though I think that Beckham transcends that. So I was a little disappointed in the lack of interest in those. But other than that, I mean, again, it's, you know, I, I, do you have one that you were maybe thinking of that you saw? Oh, no, not at all. I was just curious, just from a writer's standpoint, if there was one that, you know, you had put up. You know, because sometimes, you know, from our perspective – We'll line up some guests for the podcast and we'll we'll think that, you know, we're going to do great numbers and it'll do, you know, 900 less in the week before, which we thought was weaker with guests, you know, so that's kind of where I came up with the question just to see. And when I did my show, I used to have that too. Here's another one that I just found. I went back looking through the day after the election. uh, I wrote about Nate Silver and connected it to sports and baseball and how advanced stats worked for Obama to get reelected because his campaign used advanced stats and Nate Silver basically got the entire election right. And how if politicians and and political media are going to have to start to finally agree that this is the way that it's going, baseball media is going to need to do that too. And I, I thought I, I laid it out pretty fairly and made it more of a sports article than an, than an article about the election uh, and it, it only did like thirty five hundred reads, which which for our site is is for nothing. Like if you, I joked around with one of my editors. If it gets less than five thousand reads, I don't think anyone tried to promote it uh, at our site. So, uh, you know that that was disappointing to me. Uh, but then you get an article that I thought was just a hey, let me write a quick thing about about Kobe Bryant, and it'll get fifteen twenty thousand or whatever it was. Uh, I wrote something about the Jacksonville Jaguars, or probably trying to lose their way out of town, like they did in the in the game. Uh, in the movie Major League, and right. twenty five and twenty five thousand reads. So you know that that was just a silly gag that I thought would get like you know a couple thousand people, and, and it blows up. So you really never know, and, and things just happen. People tweet it, go you know to to a bigger site, uh, and that's just sort of the nature of the internet. Yeah. Well, what about the opposite? If you were to put out uh, greatest hits from your Bleacher Report days, are there a few? I know you're pumped about the Christmas cards one. You said that a couple times. Are there a couple other ones that you're just really proud of? Ones that just seem to click? I, I don't know. I don't. I mean, do you mean from a, from a traffic standpoint, or from like a here's something that I wrote that was good standpoint? Here's something that was good standpoint. I think I've sort of become and not not just a Bleacher Report, but I, I think and again, I'm, look, I'm trying to say this with as much humility. Yeah, yeah. And, and, although if somebody at Desmond's reading this, I'm sure something will end up in there. Twitter feed about how uh, I think I run the internet, uh, which was awesome of them to say. Uh, <laughs> I think I think part of what I've been asked to do uh, wherever I've been is be like the perspective guy, which is hard because then Bob Costas co- goes on the, the TV and says like, if you think that's perspective, you're an idiot. Well, thanks, Bob, because I, I think your stupid rant about gun control was stupid too. Um, as I said, stupid twice in the same sentence, which must have. <laughs> oh. But I, I, I think I've always sort of had to put things in perspective, so to speak, uh, immediately. And it's always hard to do, especially because in situations where you need perspective between sports and real life or between sports and whatever, everyone else is offering perspective as well. So when the Jerry Sandusky thing happens or when Joe Paterno dies or when the situation in Kansas City happened, 
those are situations where you have to think of words that other people maybe haven't thought of or, or dissect a situation in a way that hasn't yet been dissected. And it's really hard to do. And it takes a lot out of you emotionally. And it's a lot of work because you know people are going to read them. Uh, so I think a lot of those, uh, in particular, when Paterno died, that was a really sort of tough day for the Internet. I think we handled that really well. Um, I think this past situation with Kansas City was a tough day for us, and I think we handled it pretty well. Uh, but then in a more in a more lighthearted, I went back and looked. Like I, I wrote an article, uh, I think it was called "Dear Soccer Haters, We Don't Need You Anymore," uh, and it and I thought, okay, this is a good story. It's funny. It was a conversation I had with a guy on the radio making fun of soccer, and I said, you know what? There's so much interest in in soccer through the TV networks. That it doesn't matter if people watch anymore because the TV networks care and they're going to force it down our throats, which is great for soccer fans. We don't need football fans to like soccer anymore because the TV executives do. And that's all that matters. And I thought, this will do okay. Are you, a, oh, I'm sorry. Are, you, uh, are you worried about the site potentially going out of business without the NHL this year? I don't know what's, what, whose site. <laughs> that was a joke. I guess you. Okay. I guess you didn't get it. <laughs> I'm thinking like I don't know. Who... <laughs> I was just making a bad joke, I guess, about the NHL being completely irrelevant, and the, you missed the, it. The good. It was a good way to cut me off. So that was. I, I was on a roll, and you needed a way <laughs> to make. So the worst joke to do it. So that was good. Well, well played. Yeah, good job by me. Um, all right, last thing. Uh, you you did the christmas cards thing and so obviously you've been invested in the football season this year and we see new england potentially potentially expose houston last night a little bit where do you see the rest of the football season kind of going you got a feel yet for who you think might be in the super bowl uh what what are your thoughts on the nfl with uh, about three weeks left i think it's interesting that really good teams are making odd decisions uh, that the Baltimore Ravens fire their offensive coordinator, then they probably should have, but it's a weird time of year to do it. The San Francisco 49ers are maybe the best team in the NFC, and then they have this whole quarterback controversy, which seemed unnecessary and maybe is best for the long run, but I don't know if it's best for the short term. I don't know if, if it's going to screw them up when they get to the playoffs or what happens if they have to use both guys in a playoff game. Uh, so I, I, those are interesting stories that are, that are fun to look for the rest of the year. The Patriots do look really good, and their defense looked good too. For a while, it's just been their offense, but their defense looked good last night too. So that team looks really dangerous, and, and I think the Packers are going to be the team that starts to get really hot. They had a tough couple of weeks early on, and I think they're going to be really good. I don't know. I don't believe in the Falcons. So it, right now, on the who's hottest, it looks like it could be the Patriots and the Packers, although I would, it would surprise me. I think the Giants could go back. I mean, nothing would really surprise me this year. I've been kind of banned from, like, saying that I don't believe in the Falcons because they're my least favorite team in the league, but I don't believe in the Falcons either. And uh, you know what I think has been huge for the Patriots this year is the way that uh, the defensive tackle, Wolflark's been playing. I mean, he was the guy that used to take the f- off the field on passing situations, and, I mean, he's doing everything. And I think that that's huge for them. So I really I really like the Patriots, and um, I don't know. I don't know about the NFC just yet. Well, and the thing is, you got to keep in mind. I I think that the Patriots are playing better than anybody else right now, but the Denver Broncos are pretty good. Yeah, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see uh, the Denver Broncos in the playoffs because they're already won the division. They're a way better team than they were last year. They won a playoff game last year, 
with a terrible record. So if they don't win a playoff game this year, it's going to be a step back. I mean, it's not a step back, but nevertheless, they're playing as good as anyone right now. And I think it'll be very interesting to see Peyton Manning against Tom Brady in the playoffs if it were to happen. Um, it would be really interesting to see how that plays out with Peyton being on a new team. And and again, I think, you know, the NFC, somehow the NFC became the not as good conference again, but the teams at the top of each division are really awesome. So I think it could be a good Super Bowl no matter who's in it. Yeah, and you know, I think that every NFL uh, executive over at uh, CBS prays every night that they're going to get a wild card game between Luck and Peyton. Yes, that would be huge. And not only that, if if it works out the way that they want, now I don't know which they'd get because I think uh, ABC I, I, might snipe that one. I think NBC. But if if the Colts end up if the Colts end up playing against the Broncos, which everyone would want, the Ravens may play the Steelers. So either way, right. CBS is going to get one of the best matchups. I think that from a rating standpoint, uh, you can't go wrong with either of them. But I, I do think that maybe Pittsburgh and Baltimore would bet would do a better number with how many fans Pittsburgh has. Denver has a huge fan base, and there's general interest in Manning against the Colts. Uh, but I, I think that Pittsburgh against Baltimore could even do a better number. So you can't go wrong either way. Do you uh, have much interest in the national championship game? I have interest in, in the fact that it, it will be interesting to see if Notre Dame can actually beat Alabama because no one thinks they will. I, I don't think that Notre Dame I, – I, look, I think if, if Notre Dame ends up the season undefeated, they deserve to be in the national championship game. So I don't want to sound like they don't deserve to be in it. But they are one of the least good – I don't want to say worst, but the least best – undefeated teams that I've ever seen. Their strength of schedule was nowhere near as good as people want it to be. They should have lost to Pittsburgh. They should have lost at least one other game or two Stanford, other games. Stanford, maybe. They did lose to Stanford. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's sort of a paper tiger. They're undefeated by default, by by poor officiating and a guy who missed a kick. That's why they're, they should have had two losses this year at at least. So, I, you know, I think, okay, they're in, the, they're in the national championship game. And good for them, I guess. But I don't think they're going to win it. Yeah, I don't I don't think so either, but you know what worries me is when everyone doesn't think a team is going to win it. It always seems like that team wins it. You know what I'm saying? Going against logic. I think it happens more in the NFL. Uh college a lot of times people get it right because it's so lopsided. Uh but but I think I think it'll be close. I think Notre Dame's defense is good, so I think it could be close. I I just don't see how Notre Dame's offense is going to move down the field. On, on that defense. I know the defense isn't as good as it's been. I know that some of the teams Georgia put up points on them. I, I just don't see how Notre Dame is going to do that. And if Alabama can score a few early, it's going to be over before halftime. Does Bleacher Report have you like going down to New Orleans for the New Orleans Bowl or anything like that this year? No, I don't know who's going to be there. The cool thing about our, our company is that we have people spread out all over the country. Um, and, and for different sports, it, we can pick and choose who's going to go a lot of times we can do better coverage from home. I mean, that's sort of the nature of our business now right. is that you can do better business, but you can do a better job and a more efficient job from home. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. I am not going to any of the bowl games. I don't know what's going to happen with the NFL with the Super Bowl this year. Uh, if the NFL people are going to go or what, but um, you know, I'll still be covering it. I'm sure. Well, Dan, thank you so much for doing this again. Um, we really appreciate it and uh, enjoy the rest of your holiday season. And uh, thanks for being on. We look forward to having you on again in the future.
No problem. Thanks for asking and thanks for having me and, and happy holidays to you too. Thank you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonet Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right. Thank you to Dan Levy for being on the podcast today. Really appreciate that. BleacherReport.com is a place to go if you want to read his work. All right. Five on fantasy. First piece of business. We had playoffs last week in our listener, listener league, league yeah. and we did not have close games. No. Um, the Hungry Hungry Rajis beat the Browns backers 142-91. to 91. And surprisingly, the men who knock, who was the three seed, lost to the six seed. 208 wow. to 121. Wow. I should view the game center there and find out why that was so lop- lopsided. Maybe a Cam Newton or um, Peterson. Lawrence Tand Hills had. Oh, NFL is going to give us some. Yeah. Uh, he had Brady, Charles, Richardson, Hayward Bay, Crabtree, Bennett, Bolden, Brown, Tucker, and the Seahawks defense who scored 44 points. That was the 200-day point team? Yep. Wow, that is not a 200-day point roster. No. That is a 208-point prayer. <laughs> yeah, I guess making it out of the first round, you got to do it. Wow, that's an ugly team to put up 208 points. And I want to know why I don't get to play that team next week. I gotta, it's got this stupid, they don't reseed. You can do it manually. They just at least at least you can on ESPN. Cause well, but I didn't set that up, so I can't do it now. But oh, okay. Uh, so semifinals this week: number one team, Backspacers, is me versus Hungry Hungry Raji, and then we have the number two seed, Avataris Jackson versus Lauren Tan Hills. Yeah, my team's licking their wounds at home. Yep, you're at home. All and, right, starts and sits, I guess. Right for this yeah. week. Uh, we typically do pickups here too, but there's really not a lot. Uh, maybe keep an eye on the Des Bryant situation, and maybe if there's like an Ogletree or somebody out there still in your league, I doubt there is kind of because somebody may have stashed him after they ha- their his big first week or so. But uh, if someone's named the third starter there, they might be worth picking up. This week's a tough week to use him though against uh, Pittsburgh's D. So really, not a lot to pick up. Start your stars. This is the playoffs. Don't get too cute. Uh, my, st- I'm going to do starts this week. My quarterback start is Matt Schaub. This is more of a gut thing than anything. They were embarrassed on Monday night. Uh, I think they're going to look to put that out of their mind. They are going back home, and they still need wins. They they're able to. They've been resting Foster a little bit. I should say they're kind of weaning him a little bit as far as carries go but they do need these wins we we talked about earlier about how they're not going to want to go on the road to new england because it didn't look good last night and they play i can't find it now they play where the heck did it go they play the colts uh a team with an average defense team that gives up a lot of points and i don't expect this to be a a close game i think this will be one of them measuring stick games for the Colts, and I, I don't think they're quite ready to measure up to the Texans, especially after a big humiliating loss. I think they're going to be looking for blood that game, and I think Schaub's a nice option this week if 
if you've got them. I just want to. I just want to say something obvious. Don said it. Don't be too cute. Start your studs. I know you might be a little bit nervous about the way the last two weeks have been for Drew Brees, but don't do anything stupid. Make sure he's in your lineup. Yeah. They play the Bucks, who are one of the worst defensive pass defenses, pass yeah. defenses in the league, and Drew Brees is not the kind of guy that takes having bad weeks very lightly. And unless you're getting killed, if, if your league really kills you for interceptions, he still put up 350, 341, 267, and three TDs. He hasn't he hasn't beat you up too bad. I mean, that would be getting that's the definition of getting too cute because there's no way you you drafted Breeze in the first round and you have unless you've got like an RG three and then he's injured. You know he'd be coming off an injury, so I, I wouldn't start him over, or I wouldn't start RG three over Breeze either. All right, uh, my set. I had a tough time between three guys: Matt Stafford, Eli Manning, and Tony Romo. Yeah. None of them have particularly great matchups. Uh, they've all struggled at times this season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Stafford plays on Thursday, right? They do. So I'm going to go with Oh, Stafford. no, no, no. No, they don't. The Bengals play the Eagles. Oh, the Bengals play the Eagles. I'm going to go with Stafford anyway as my set. He didn't look all that impressive versus the um, – versus the uh, – that's a pretty non-obvious one too, because they're going to the, they're playing on the road, but they're playing the Cardinals, who have been terrible. So, uh, who would you start over him? I mean, that, that's always kind of the thing. Okay, so I'd start Manning, Eli. Okay, would you start Tony Romo over him then? Yes, even against the Steelers. Yeah, I'm. I might too. I mean, I've got Romo and. I mean, are you afraid of the Steelers' defense after what you saw the Chargers do to them last week? Yeah, that's true. In Pittsburgh, that's true. So maybe not. I would not start Ryan Tannehill, Nick Foles, right, right, Jay Cutler. I mean, that's those three. I think are the cutoff. What about I, Colin Kaepernick? Where do, where does he fall on this? I'd probably start Kaepernick ahead of him. Yeah, I think Kaepernick could have a big week. He's got a good matchup. Yeah, they got the Patriots, but uh, they got to look better than Houston today, I suppose. My running back start this week, I'm going to piggyback on yours last week, which we didn't really discuss. We can recap that, I suppose, after we do this. But you had Matt Forte as a start. He gave you an okay week in a PPR league. Uh, He's at home. He's playing against Green Bay. And what really is starting to look like must-win games. Chicago looked like a shoe-in for the playoffs. And now after a a loss, they're, they're in the mix with teams that might be on the outside looking in. So I think they got to win this game. They're a team that's a lot better at home. They're 5-2 and two at home. And uh, I think Forte is a big part of that, particularly if Cutler's hurt. Uh, they're going to really have to lean on him. So I had Forte in both of my fantasy leagues this year, and now I need him in the playoffs. So maybe I'm kind of rooting for my own team here. But I think, this, I think they need him, and I think he comes up big. My sit is maybe obvious in a way because he might not be on that many teams, but he may be a, have been a popular pickup in the last couple weeks, and that's Sean Moreno. Don't get excited over what you've seen Sean Moreno do in that last game. He had a lot of carries to get the yards that he got. His touchdown was nothing spectacular. I don't, if, I don't, if I recall, it was a short run in, right? Right, right. And... I wouldn't trust him in the playoffs. That's just not a guy with semifinal week that I want to trust. So if you're asking me who I'd rather start, 
Jeez. I might start Arm. I would probably start Armand Bradshaw over him. Yeah, I would agree with that, I think. I'm surprised. I might start Sean Green over him, too. Looking at the Baltimore run defense, so they're 25th in the league in run defense, 23rd in the league in passing yards. This is not the Baltimore. That's a very beatable team, too. I think the AFC is down to two teams, and I think it's Denver and uh, New England. My wide receiver start this week, and this one may, might be obvious at this point, but if you picked him up, he's paid huge dividends, and I think he's practically a must-start, and that's Denario Alexander. This guy's huge. He's tall. Uh, Rivers looks for him everywhere. He had two touchdowns last week. His numbers have been pretty ridiculous. He's got he's the second on their team in receiving, and he's only played – I think five games at this point. Uh, he had three catches, five catches, seven catches, five catches, six catches, seven catches, and he's got 555 yards and five TDs over that span. Not a lot has gone right for San Diego this year, but he's looking like like they might have something for to build on for next year. Six five two seventeen. He's just a matchup problem for guys. If you saw the end of that. Uh, who did they just play? Pittsburgh game. They just threw one up in the air to him, and he came down with it for his second touchdown. I just think he's a must-start every single week. All right. My uh, sit at wide receiver is maybe a sit you made a few weeks ago, but we always talk about starting studs, but there's a stud out there that yeah. I just think he can't start anymore, and that's Larry Fitzgerald. He just doesn't have a quarterback that can get him the ball. Usually the rule of thumb is, is a quarterback is going to throw for 150 to 200 yards and the best player on the team is usually going to get most of those. Right. But it hasn't worked out that way for Larry Fitzgerald. I'm going to blow your mind right now when I tell you Larry Fitzgerald's point totals since he scored week 13 games, 13 points against the Packers before his bye week. Okay. This is ESPN standard scoring, so not a PPR. Not that it would really help him much. He has one, three, two. And zero points. Wow. That's a guy, too, that I've always said, when you watch Larry Fitzgerald, there's not many guys in the history of the league better at just going up in the air and catching a ball, which means even if you've got a, a bad quarterback, that once in a while he should just throw up balls for Larry Fitzgerald to come down with. And if that can't happen with that guy, And that beatdown that they took last week when obviously they probably passed the ball every single play the second half, he had one catch for two yards. Wow. He hasn't had more than 31 yards receiving since week nine. That's really bad. Uh, on Twitter, I almost said Steve Young. Vince Young tweeted Larry Fitzgerald and said, hey, you know I can help you. Tell your coach. So Vince Young is out there trying to sell himself. And I can't disagree with Vince Young, I suppose. But, boy, man, that team looked like it had maybe like a quarterback battle out there between Cobb and uh, who's the kid that took over. And Skelton. Skelton looked okay at times, but now they just all look inept and Cobb is never healthy, and they're, that's a disaster of a team. Nine straight losses at this point. After a 4-0 and start, now 4 Which we called them the worst 4-0 and team of all time, if I recall in this podcast. Right. I maybe was a little higher on them than you. I thought the defense was good enough to keep them in games, but, boy, I guess those quarterbacks are just really, really bad. Real quick, my starts last week, Cam Newton, that was a hit for sure. Probably the best quarterback of the week. Yep. 
Uh, Matt Forte, like Don said, did All right well in the PPR. PPR yeah. Not that good in a non-PPR. And Reggie Wayne put up decent numbers. I think it was like 6 for 60 in a TD. Around there, yeah. So, so that's good, yeah. Yeah, pretty good starts there. Uh, Don had Matt Ryan as a sit. That was probably a little bit of a miss because he yards. Yeah, you would have thought looking at the box score that was a good call, but he had a, he had the only two TDs. And, and garbage time. A lot of yards, only one pick. Garbage time killed you in that game. Yeah. Uh, you had Ryan Matthews, which we said was, was a good, good call, call yep. and Miles Austin, which was also a good call. Yep. So we did pretty good, so we're... You know we're in fantasy. We're in playoff mode. Yep. And yeah, we're, we're on it. We are playing each other in a semifinal in my league. Yep. Yep. Don has the league, and we are playing each other in semifinal. It's kind of been weird because I dominated the league, and I looked to be the sure one seed, then and then my a, team kind of str- just fell apart yeah. a little bit. And uh, Don actually has four home field advantage points on me, so he f- that means he finished two games ahead. Yeah, my team's been a. Uh, Steady Eddie in that league. I think my lowest point total came against you like week one or two. And since then, like I get about the same exact number of points every week. So it's just a matter of if my opponent's going to have a – if my opponent has a bad week, I win. If my opponent has like an overly good week, I don't usually keep up. But uh, very steady team around the 140-point mark. I love my team in that league because I have Rice and Martin. Yep. And that just seems to like just set everything up. It'd be interesting to see. We didn't mention that off in the open, but uh, Cam Cameron was fired as the offensive coordinator there. And he's yeah, always, weird timing, huh? Always, yeah, nine and four team at the time, but they're always criticized for not using Rice enough at the end of games. So we'll see if the new guy does. All right, that's it for five on fantasy. We're going to take a break and come back with Dan Walken and talk about the Heisman Trophy and the bowl season. Our next guest is from Hot Springs, Arkansas, and is a graduate of Vanderbilt University. After college, he spent five years in Colorado covering NCAA hockey and the Denver sports scene and the Air Force Academy for the Colorado Springs Gazette. He also covered Memphis basketball for the Commercial Appeal, and he was recently a national sports columnist for the Made for iPad newspaper The Daily before moving on to cover college football for USA Today. He has been honored with awards from the Associated Press Sports Editors in the Colorado Press Association. A warm sportscaster's welcome for the sixth time to Dan Wolken. What's up, Dan? Uh, not a whole lot. Just getting ready for bowl season. You are a sportscaster staple when you get to number six, buddy. Well, I don't know what the record is, but uh, I'll well, enjoy it. The record is 11 by Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated. Wow. Yeah, that's our boy. That. That's our boy. But uh, so let's start with this. What did you think of the Heisman vote? Did it go the way you expected, and did you go the way? Did it go the way that you thought it should have? I think it went the way I expected. Yes, uh, Manziel candidacy really picked up steam with that Alabama game. That was just kind of, I think, the moment where he took control in, in a lot of voters' minds and solidified voting section, his support. And I I just think that in a year where there weren't, there weren't a lot of great candidates. I mean, that's, that's one, I think thing that helped him is just there, you know, and you know, when a defensive player, a linebacker went second place, um, it just wasn't a stellar field this year. And, 
so I wasn't surprised he won. I had no problem with him winning. I, I don't vote in that. Um, he, he had an unbelievable statistical season, and Texas A&M did very well the first year in the SEC. So I had no problem with it. Um, if I had a vote, I, I probably would have gone KO for just a couple reasons. One, I, I, I would like to see a defensive player win it. I thought just in terms of him being the best player on uh, the, the defense that I, I consider to be the best in the country in Notre Dame, and his personal story I think factors in as well. And, you know, I, I probably would have gone with him, but I have no problem that it went the other way. I, I think that uh, those were the two pretty pretty clear top candidates this year. Were you surprised at how many first-place votes uh, Manziel got, that there seemed to be many less curmudgeons who, for whatever reason, just refused to vote in this award for freshmen? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, you have to look at who the voter, voters are. And, uh, you know, I think that people just kind of fall into patterns. And that's why defensive players have struggled to win it. And I think that... Um, you know, if you were if you were just going statistics and offense, then it was a it was a Klein versus Manziel debate. And I think on that debate, freshman or not, I think you had to give Manziel the edge there. Comparing Manziel to Teo, much more difficult comparison, and it's just hard to quantify the impact of a defensive player. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't real surprised at, at, at the way it kind of shook out. All right, so the other piece of business is bowl season, and we'll get to the BCS bowls in a second, but can you sell me on any of the other bowls? Well, first of all, we know the Cotton Bowl is very good with Oklahoma and Texas A&M, so let's just leave that one out of it for a second. Can you sell me on anything else? Well, I think the Fiesta Bowl is going to be a pretty interesting game. Kansas State and Oregon which, you know, about November 10th looked like it was going to be the national championship game. Uh, those were those two teams were one and two, and then they both lost on the same Saturday, kind of shook up everything. So that, that very easily, if, if, you know, some things had gone differently, that, that easily could have been the championship game. So I think that's going to be an interesting bowl game. I think the Chick-fil-A Bowl, LSU, and Clemson is, is a pretty interesting game. Other than that, yeah, it's, pretty, it's a pretty weak slate, uh, just – not a lot of compelling matchups, unfortunately. And, you know, I just think that this year with all the different factors and the thing about the BCS and and the way that the rules are, yeah, I think the championship game is, is, is right. I think the championship game is, is a good matchup. But when, when you, you know, when you have to have the Big East champion and you have to have uh, Northern Illinois in there based on the, the rules, they're really kind of screws with all the other matchups and, and the domino effect that, that went all the way down through the bowl lineup, I, I don't think was, was helpful at all. So, uh, there's, you know, there's no question that if you look at all 35 or 36 bowls, I can't remember how many there are, you know, there's, there's probably four or five that are real interesting and, and the rest you can kind of take or leave. Now, with, with uh, Northern Illinois slipping in and, you know, having to take the Big East champion, Whose fans should be most upset they didn't get a BCS Bowl? Is it Oklahoma? Well, I don't know because, you know, the thing about Oklahoma is they're in the Cotton Bowl. 
I, the Cotton Bowl is not technically a BCS Bowl, but I'm not really sure what the difference is between the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl or the Cotton Bowl and the Sugar Bowl. I mean, it's it's a pretty prestigious game and a great venue, arguably best venue in all of football. And, and you've got a, a really interesting opponent in Texas A&M. So I, it's hard for me to really, even though Oklahoma fans may feel like um, they got shafted a little bit, I just I don't see a huge gripe there. I think that uh, certainly Georgia fans have, have a gripe, uh, a legitimate gripe, because you know they, they get to the SEC championship game and lose you know on the last play, and they get knocked all the way down to uh, to the Capital One Bowl. Right. And I think um, you know they were clearly a BCS worthy team, but you know there's that rule that you can only have two from one conference and. And Florida, you know, Florida was also a very deserving team and had a great season. So um, I think it's 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 a it, it's tough. I mean, I think Oklahoma certainly uh, certainly made out a little better in this whole thing than Georgia. Well, you know what? We talked about how a lot of these games are throwaways, but you know what? Maybe on I don't know Thursday, December seventh or Thursday, to 20, December 27th at 9.45, I'm not going to have anything to do, and I'll get sucked into this Baylor versus UCLA game. I don't want to talk about that game specifically, but my question is, when we're watching these bowls, give me a couple players that we should be watching for that can be stars on Sundays. Oh, well, gee, <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a tough question to answer, because, I mean, you can, go, you can go team to team and talk about all different you know, kinds of uh, kinds of pro prospects. I mean, the you know South Carolina is a team um, that I think I don't want to say they had a disappointing season, but they certainly they certainly shot came into the season trying to shoot a little higher than uh, than the Outback Bowl, um, but that's where they are. And you know, Jadavian Clowney is going to be the number one pick, not this year, but but next year. I mean, he's uh, you know, it's hard to project two drafts down the line, but but Clowney is is the best player in college football next season, without question. He's got to play a third year because of the draft rules, and I think it'll be interesting to see if there's you know over the next year if there's a Heisman sort of push behind Clowney as the defensive end, um, where it's it's you know very hard to measure his impact statistically, but if you just watch him play, he literally impacts every play of the game. He's, he's that good. And so I think, um, you know, if, if Dominican Sue could be in the Heisman conversation uh, a few years ago in Nebraska, Clowney certainly can in South Carolina. And you know, that's, a, that's a game that I don't think many people are really going to watch or all be all that interested in. But you know, I, I think he's just such, he, he, he brings you out of your seat every, every time. So I think he's worth watching. All right, let's get to the big one, the BCS National Championship game. We got to wait all the way till Monday, January seventh, which is going to be, which is ridiculous. It's eight thirty ESPN. It's in Miami this year. We know it's Alabama. We know it's Notre Dame. A lot of people seem to quickly fall into the trap of Alabama plays in the SEC. Alabama's going to crush Notre Dame. Make a case for Notre Dame. Well, the case for Notre Dame is is just that they've been such a good team defensively all year long, especially stopping the run. Uh, they're, they're built along the defensive line, somewhat like an SEC team, and they're very physical, and 
you're, you know, if you don't run on first down and get some yardage, you put AJ McCarron in a position where he's got to make make plays in the passing game, and that's where Alabama's been been a little bit vulnerable uh, this year. So, um, you know, this is a team that has only allowed. I can't remember the exact number, but they've allowed fewer touchdowns than any team in the country. And, you know, I think that SEC people maybe underestimate a little bit just how good that defense is. So if they're able to, to limit Alabama and keep it a, uh, a close, you know, low-scoring game with um, a lot of field goal tries and, and not a lot of touchdowns, then Notre Dame's going to be right there in the fourth quarter. And, you know, even though Everett Golson is not Johnny Manziel in any way, shape, or form, he's got some of that same improvisational ability to his game. And, you know, if you look at what Johnny Manziel did against Alabama, if, if Golson is able to extend plays and run around a little bit and make plays with his feet, then, um, you know, plus a month of practice, I think, is really going to help him. Uh, it's just in his first year of playing, he seemed to get better. As the season went on, I, I I think that's a case that you can make that Al, that Alabama is is in for a a very tough game, and um, we'll just have to see how it plays out. But I would not be surprised if it's if it's uh, a field goal game in the fourth quarter. Now we could very easily say that the key for Alabama to win is the opposite of everything you said for Notre Dame to win. But are there any other specific keys that um, could help Alabama win this game? Well, they've just got to run the ball. I mean, when they're when they're at their best, um, that that's a very good offensive line, and it seemed like sometimes this year with uh, uh, Doug Nussmeyer, their new offensive coordinator, they, they seem to just want to maybe get away from the run a little bit too much. And when you got that offensive line and you've got Eddie Lacy and T.J. Yeldon, um, I, I don't know why you don't run the ball more uh, in certain situations. And you know, they they finally got it got got it in in the second half of the Georgia game and. Uh, really kind of gash that team. I don't know if they'll be able to do the same against Notre Dame, but I think they just have to stay patient with the run, even if it's not getting a lot of yardage early. Are you ready to make a prediction? Well, I think, you know, I, like I said, I think it's going to be a close game, and, and it could go either way. Um, you know, I kind of just have a, a sense about Notre Dame, just a gut feeling. Um, just things have kind of fallen their way all year long. And, uh, you know, this is not a great Alabama team compared to – last year's team and they played above their heads I think for much of the year and we'll just see against you know a quality opponent if they can do it one more time but you know I'll go out on a limb and pick Notre Dame in a close one. Now I know you live like kind of in this area of the country so I don't know Monday December 31st at 3 30 if you want to meet in Memphis Tennessee for the Iowa State Tulsa game. <laughs> no I, I, I'm going to be down in Miami getting ready oh. for the Oh, okay. Bummer. I thought, you know, maybe Planet. I've never been to Memphis. You know, I see the King and, you know, but because uh, it's such a great matchup there. But um, one last thing, serious question I forgot to ask you before when we were talking about Manziel. What's his NFL future? What do people say about him? Is he another Tim Tebow type or is he a guy who can play quarterback at the next level? Oh, I don't think we're a long way away from having to deal with that because, you know, he's got at least another couple years uh, there at that school. I don't. I don't think anybody looks at him as as right now a, a big time pro prospect. Um, he's he's smaller. Uh, he's he's young. He's got a lot to do. And you know, and 
just in terms of his style of play, uh, you know, that that is a big question mark at the next level. But we're going to see a lot more of him over the next couple of years, and I don't think that's really a question we have to worry about right now. Winning as a freshman, you think he's got as good a chance as anyone who previously came back as a Heisman to get a second one? Maybe, but, you know, I do think defenses are going to figure him out a little bit in the offseason. Um, they're going to have all the tape, and SEC teams haven't played him once. They're going to have better game plans going in next year. Uh, you know, and, and then you have to have a lot of things go your way, staying healthy. And uh, He has a chance, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I wouldn't bet on it. Gotcha. Dan, thank you so much for doing this today. Enjoy bowl season. Hope you get to see some good games, and uh, we'll talk to you soon for uh, appearance number seven, I'm sure. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Alright, one last piece of business. Well, two. First, we have to thank Dan Walken for being on the show. Also, we have to remind you to check us out at www.facebook.com slash sportscasters. Find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email us at sportscasters at gmail.com. And you can find all this information out on our website, www.sports-casters.com. Don't forget, Football Nation, www.footballnation.com. Still, as, as of this moment, I do not know who the guest will be, but it'll be someone great, I it'll promise. It'll be really good. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah, it'll probably be Wyatt Tittle. That'd be cool. I'm out to him. Yeah. So I've reached His Twitter out. Twitter account, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, pick four last week. I went 2-2, two and two, won the game of the week. Patriots minus four over the Texans. That was 42-14. Broncos minus 11 over the Raiders. and won by 13. I lost my Thursday night basketball block. Uh, by like 20 points, the Knicks beat the Heat 112-92 without Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, what happened there? And my bold prediction was that the Saints would beat the Giants outright, and that obviously didn't come close to happening. No. Don went 2-1-1, one, and one, won the Patriots game, also won the Broncos and Raiders game, pushed the Ravens minus 3 over the Redskins, and lost the Steelers minus 7 over the Chargers. All right, on to this week. The game of the week is 49ers at Patriots. That's the Sunday night game on NBC. Uh, kind of the same logic I had last week. I think Houston and the 49ers to some extent, although the 49ers do have that playoff loss experience. We were just talking earlier about how you got to lose to win. I still don't think – I don't think the Pats are the team that take their foot off the pedal at all. I don't think they have down games. I don't think they look past teams. I don't think last week was their Super Bowl or anything like that. So minus six – I just don't think the 49ers' offense can keep up with what the Pats are going to do, even with their great defense. So I'm going to take the Pats minus six. I think this is the week that San Francisco fans maybe start to wonder if switching to Colin Kaepernick was the right was idea. the right idea. Because I think this is the perfect spot for Alex Smith. You know you're going to get a guy who's going to go in there and he's going to manage the game and he's going to take care of the ball and he's not going to make mistakes and he's going to keep you in it until the fourth quarter. I don't know if Colin Kaepernick's ready to do that, so that's why I'm taking the Patriots minus six. My worldwide leader pick this week is the Thursday night game. That's Thursday on the NFL Network at 820. 
It's Bengals at the Eagles. Uh, I don't like to lay points on the road, but the Bengals are a team that need wins. The Eagles are a team that don't. They feel like a team that got their big emotional win last week. I don't know if they can do that again. Uh, So I'm going to take the Bengals minus the three on the road. I'll go with the awesome Monday night game, Jets and Titans. What do you do with that game? I don't know. The Jets are plus one. They have a better record. I know it's on the road. They seem to have been playing a little bit better lately. A little bit? Yeah, I guess. I guess. I don't know. I'll take the Jets plus one over the Titans. I don't I don't see anything in the Titans. This is another week that I'm not sure if we've talked more about it on the Football Nation podcast or this one, but the Sunday night game, they have that ability to flex. It's another week that I don't think you could flex it. And there's a lot of other good games, but I'm not sure that there's any better than 49ers-Pats. Anyway, my host choice this week. They did week. flex one, by the way. Oh, they did. Which one? Um, Let me look real quick. They flexed, I believe, next week's game. Okay, they flexed it already. Okay. Yeah. Um, they flexed. When do they have to do that by? They probably have to give some notice because people have it's to. It's two weeks, except for week 17 is one week. Oh, okay. They flexed 49ers Seahawks. Or no, that's Monday. Excuse me. They flexed. Um... No, I'm right. They flexed 49ers Seahawks. That's the Sunday night game now? That's the Sunday night game. Do you know what was NBC. the Sunday night game? It was something, I think, Chargers and Jets, which is at yeah. 1 o'clock now. Yeah. Good call. Good call. And that's uh, Christmas weekend. So that game's on December 23rd. There's no Monday night game that week. Okay. My host choice this week is Vikings at the Rams. That's the 1 o'clock game on Fox. The Vikings are on the road where they're significantly worse, but, again, they have something to play for. The Rams really don't. This, to me, is the type of game where – Adrian Peterson's going to win it by himself. Uh, the Vikings are getting three points on the road, and I'll take them plus the three. I just think the Vikings go ultra-conservative like they have been and let Peterson win a game for them. All right, I'm going to go crazy here. I'm going to make both my last two picks at once. I'm going to double up. you got to understand I've been a Saints fan for a long time, and – some people might think it's emotion, but it's not It's not that. Don will tell you that. I will tell him straight up when I think the Saints don't have it. Right. And after watching the way the last couple of games have went, I just can't see Drew Brees playing another game like that against a team like Tampa Bay. And I know Tampa Bay likes to be competitive, and I bet they run on us. Yeah. I bet they do. But I'm going to take the Saints minus four for my host choice, and I'm going to take a minus 12 for my bold prediction. All right, my bold prediction then, Colts at Texans. The Texans are a nine-point favorite at home. That's the 1 o'clock game on CBS. I'm going to double that and take the Texans minus 18. I know that's huge. I just think, like I said, I think the Colts aren't there yet, and the Texans were embarrassed last week, and I think they're looking to give it back to somebody. And I think they do that at home against the Colts. All right, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks uh, to Jonah Carey, Dan Wolken, Dan Levy. 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 Cue the hip. All right.